Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I'm here with Brendan Kashmerik, and we are we are in like a media booth at Road America for the June sprints for the SCCA. And uh, you have a pretty cool role here. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're doing this weekend here at Road of America. Road sure. America. So uh, Drivers Eye Live is my uh, production company, media yep. production company. Um, we started, oh God, about a dozen years ago uh, now uh, as a company called Endurance Radio, um, mostly just covering amateur endurance racing. Uh, for a while, it was just the NASA 25 Hours of Thunderhill. And over the years, we've slowly built it up to be a full-fledged, mostly, um, video production company, live streaming production company. Um, but it's always had amateur racing in mind. So um, this year, the uh, SCCA uh, put out a, uh, a bid for its uh, uh, Hoosier Super Tour live streaming, uh, moving on from some of the radio coverage they had in the past to you know proper video production. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we've put together over the last few years with uh, some of the endurance racing coverage we've done fit the bill perfectly. So this is uh, the last racing weekend for the SCCA for us out of the year. Um, we've done uh, the last nine, crammed everything into the first half of the year, and then we wrap everything up with the June sprints here this weekend. I have watched some of your live streaming stuff, and I love it. Thank I, you. I think it's awesome. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's a great job. Can you tell people who haven't seen it, a little bit more about what they can expect and when they could, what they could see during something like this. Sure. So I think uh, one of the phrases that's been used is just to temper expectations a little bit. And that's not, uh, it's not a bad thing. We take a lot of pride in what we do. Um, but it's stationary cameras set up from around the track. Uh, we've got uh, 12 here this weekend um, that... Uh, kind of peppered around four miles here. Do you put them there or yep. are they part? Okay. They so go you... up every morning. They come down every night. Oh, wow. Everything gets charged. Yeah. So this is the whole product has been put together with mostly consumer equipment um, to produce something reliable. Right? It's meant to be repeatable. It's meant to not rely on any track provided infrastructure. It's, it is designed so that when we go to um, you know, like a Daytona or, uh, you know, somewhere with all of the bells and whistles of media production that are available. Uh, it looks exactly the same as it does when we go to Halle that has virtually nothing available, right? Yep. Um, and so, yep, you know, a place like Road America, it's four miles long. The cameras are spread out a little bit more, but they'll look exactly the same as, as they do anywhere else we travel throughout the year. Um, and it provides a pretty good picture of what's going on around the circuit, right? We've got, uh, Greg Ginsburg is here as a commentator this weekend. Brian Belansky will be joining us remotely uh, as he has throughout the entire um, Super Tour this season. Um, and it's enough to provide the commentators with the resources to talk about what is happening on track. Um, it serves also as a resource for race control. They have the stationary cameras. You know, there's a full network of cameras here otherwise, but these are specific to the SCCA, specific to um, what the Super Tour has in mind for what coverage 
budget coverage ought to be. Um, so you can expect it to still be engaging. You can expect to see all your favorite corners and great angles from around the track. We take a lot of pride um, and put a lot of effort into how we tell the story of the race visually. Um, with the camera angles that we choose, we, we frame them pretty carefully. Um, so it'll look like a professional level race coverage, mm -hmm. just with a budget <laughs> in mind, because after all, this is still amateur amateur yeah. motorsports. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you personally put out the cameras at Every most? Every morning. So uh, what makes a great camera shot? I mean, and it's does it question. need to be close? Does it need to be far away? Like, what's the farthest away it, where it's like, eh, it's too small? Now. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a balance, right? If you've got 12 cameras available to you, you know, yeah, you want some close-up shots. You want the speed shot, right? Something of uh, cars at full throttle coming past the camera. Uh, we've had a couple of cameras already this season with uh, cars basically pointed right at the lens, right? And it really provides an unparalleled amount of immersion in what's happening on track. Thunderhill, for example, you go back and watch our coverage from the Super Tour uh, back in May. There was a camera on the pit exit attenuator of tires, right? So it's not something that cars would ever hit because it's off the racing line, but the angle of cars coming out the camera, they were basically just pointed right at it. And they're doing probably 130, 140 miles an hour at the end of the front straightaway. And it's just awesome. It looks awesome, it sounds awesome, but you can't do that everywhere because then you're not gonna see or get a picture of what's actually happening on track. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance. You, you get some close-up shots of cars at speed, you get good shots of braking zones, right? That's important just because frequently they're passing opportunities. Um, and then, you know, you want shots that tell the story, right? Wider angles or, um, you know, maybe something that includes a, a key runoff area, a, kind of a trouble spot, if you like. Um, and with that mix of cameras, you put together a racetrack full of, of views that the viewer can watch from home, that our commentators can watch here at the track or from their remote studios, and that race control can use as a resource for themselves um, as well. And then we have onboard cameras as well. So I was going to ask yeah. about that. So you guys were at Sebring, right? We were, yep. So I got to see the camera inside of Kent's car. That was awesome. Yeah. So how often do you get a chance to do that? Um, so our, our other partner series is World, the World Racing League, which is an amateur endurance racing series. And um, that is where the onboard cameras really kind of found their home and where we found the most value in it. And it makes a lot of sense on endurance <clears throat> racing. You have more drivers renting seats. You have, you know, a pit box full of, of pit crew, strategists, engineers, even at, at an amateur level, still really well-prepared cars and, and a lot of investment and uh, effort has gone into making them competitive over eight or nine hour distances. Um, so on that aspect, or from that aspect of it, you get a lot of onboard cameras that are provided by the teams, right? And we realized as we were developing our, our streaming product that it's actually really compelling to watch a race from onboard a car, right? Yeah. Um, and when you're limited in the number of camera angles you have from track side, that it, it really helps to kind of fill in the gaps um, in where your track side cameras are. So on a weekend, where we're covering an endurance race, we might get 15 to 20 onboard cameras um, that we have a, the ability to, to choose from. Um, if anything, we're limited by our production computers uh, in, in what we can actually take in at any given time. Um, but in the SCCA, we're still developing that 
um, that interest, right? Uh, Sentinel uh, the Sentinel camera from Candelaria Racing Products is um, arguably the most popular. Um, it's a really highly automated camera system. Um, James Candelaria is a T1 racer from down in Florida um, that has developed this system. Um, gets installed in the car, and anytime the car is powered on, the camera turns on. It streams to whatever your destination is. Usually, you know, you can send it to YouTube, you can send it to your own servers, whatever the case might be. Um, and then we have a good enough working relationship with James that we have the links to be able to pull those in directly um, if the teams make them available to us. So we're getting there in, in SCCA. I'd say we've probably 50% of the races this year we've had onboard cameras, um, or 50% of the weekends, and then they're spread out over the different run groups and different classes. Um, if you go back and watch the VIR coverage, we had a, uh, a great angle from the left front suspension of an FE2 car. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. So the audio wasn't phenomenal because it was very much out in the windstream, but the sense of speed you got from the camera, down low in a formula car at a place like VIR, the elevation changes, the quick braking zones, and the quick change of direction, just phenomenal. Um, so I think, you know, moving forward, that's one of the things we'd really like to see more of is this sort of crowdsourced onboard camera idea. So does, does the more people need to like have those kinds of cameras to, in order for that to work? Yeah, so we can work with any, basically any live streaming camera. We've used GoPros, um, some of the old uh, Yi 4K action cameras, which are kind of like a knockoff GoPro. Uh -huh. um, we have a few of those that we've used for um, other events in the past. Um, but the Sentinel camera is a great uh, unit. Uh, the VBox uh, system, which is, it'll, uh, it's a great camera and encoder um, with telemetry overlay. Um, that compared with, or that paired with a live view uh, encoder, the, the Solo uh, encoder box, it provides a great it's a great system um, that really, really works well. You know, even for a, a 25 or a 35 minute race, you know, here, yeah, the investment is high, but now there's a payoff, right? If, you, if you're required to have a forward-facing onboard camera anyway, which all the competitors in the SCCA are, um, you know, providing an onboard camera for people to watch either independently or to be included in, you know, the full production of the Super Tour weekends. Um, we think there's a lot of value in that. And um, yeah, we, we you know we're happy to work directly with entrants and competitors to, to so be able to that together. <clears throat> so I'm not racing this year, mm -hmm. but you know maybe next year, if I do, and I want to get a camera to work with you guys because yeah. I would love to do that. How much would it cost me to have that buy it and set it up? If you wanted to throw a GoPro in your car and just do it in a more hands-on way, but for a cheaper price, you could probably put a whole system together for like maybe three hundred dollars. Okay, that's with a GoPro. Right. Because I got a GoPro 11 right sure, here. Sure, yeah, yeah. And now, it, it, very similar to that, you'll just need a hotspot for it, right? So okay. we would work directly with you know whoever the, the racer is to, um, to provide a streaming destination so that we can pull it in in real time. It's synced with all of our trackside cameras, everything. Like I said, it fits together just like a professional TV broadcast, but on a budget, designed mm -hmm. for amateur racing. If you want something that's more automated and you don't have to think about the Sentinel system, I can't price that directly because it uh, it's provided by Candelaria Racing uh -huh. Products, but if you go to the Candelaria Racing Products website, um, they are available for sale there, and that contains everything you need, with the exception of uh, wireless data. It's the only, like, the only cost you have um, on, on your end once it's uh, purchased yeah. and installed. What did you guys use with Kent? Uh, that was a Sentinel system. 
Okay. And I think, from what I remember, that was at Sebring, yeah. James Candelaria was at Sebring, and I think he was placing or renting out units okay. in a couple of different classes, whether they were as demos or they were just leases for the weekend. Um, the best I can say is get in touch with James. I mean, they look great. They're easy to use. They're highly automated, and our working relationship with James has been fantastic over the last two to three seasons. Um, that is just, in my opinion, it's the easiest way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I really believe in, in what James is doing for the amateur racing community at large now to be able to offer, you know, basically first-person um, live streaming from, from in cars. Awesome. So you, you have 12 cameras around the track mm -hmm. for this race weekend. How many in car do you have? I don't know yet. We'll have to wait and see. That kind of comes together every weekend. I mean, we've got 420, 430 some cars entered this weekend. So <laughs> Such a big group. Yeah. My hope is we'll get maybe uh, maybe six to ten onboard cameras would be nice. So how, I mean, how does that work? Like the do you have like a screen that has all of the 12 plus the others coming in and you just kind of choose which one to go to? Yeah, so I'll explain our, our whole ethos, yeah. as it were. Yeah. Um, the idea, obviously, with amateur motorsports is to keep the cost down, mm -hmm. right? As much as you can maximize the value you're providing or receiving, depending on what you're doing, you know, what your um, role is in amateur motorsports, but to do it in a way that is conscious of the fact that this is still amateur racing, right? Um, so we offload as much as we can to remote sites. Um, so on these weekends, and particularly on endurance weekends, I'm usually the only one that travels to the racetrack or uh, one of our other uh, workers, Ryan, um, will go to an endurance race, set up all the cameras, and then manage all the commentary from on site. That leaves the other commentators and the producer working remotely. So our producer, and it's been this way through the entire uh, Super Tour season, has been working from his home in New Jersey. He pulls all the camera feeds in. They're sent to the same link every time. He loads up in the morning. Cameras all come up as I'm you know, outputting them trackside at 6.30, 7 o'clock. Um, and he has in front of him a couple of different screens. One is the output feed. One is all of the trackside cameras sort of on a wall. Um, any of the onboard cameras that uh, we have available to us get mixed in. Um, and it's really up to him. He serves as both the director and the producer. He's choosing uh, angles. He's following the battles. Um, you know, if it's a little more, if the battle's a little more urgent, urgent, or we're coming to the end of the race, he might follow just two or three cars in a in isolation. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's earlier in the race, or we're trying to get a bigger picture, get the bigger picture of what's going on, he might stay on a camera shot a little bit longer, right? But he, he does fantastic work and has total autonomy to do whatever he needs to do um, remotely. Which leaves me here to kind of coordinate between the commentators with Greg or Brian Belansky or whoever happens to be on site to help in picking out uh, individual battles or cars on track. Obviously, you know, we've got our monitor here. Um, it's pretty small, like the individual camera angles are yeah. pretty small, yeah. but we've gotten pretty good at it now to where I can get in in our producer's ear and say, hey, you know, the, the FE2 battle is coming into turn three, let's pick him up on camera three. And we're doing this all in real time, collaboratively. Um, but having an entire infrastructure built around keeping costs down has allowed us to do more um, 
with amateur racing across the board. And so that's kind of been our ethos for the last couple of years. And now we have a super reliable, super stable product that I think looks great, bearing in mind what this is. Sure, you know, we don't have, you know, two or three drones flying around every weekend. We don't have manned cameras or anything like that. Um, but that's not what this is about. This isn't about blowing, you know, huge budgets on uh, professional TV type productions. This is about providing a, a way for a club, right, and its members to engage in what the club does best, which is to provide great on-track product, great camaraderie off the track, um, and to allow us to do it in a way that is reflective of our passion for the sport. So it's, uh, it's been a great, a great kind of marriage of uh, everybody with a similar vision for what this can and should be. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're really happy with where things have landed you know, throughout the season. I'm curious, I mean, you mentioned that you would tell your producer, hey, this, this battle's going on, and then he's the one that, like, the output is governed by what he says, this screen, or this yep. screen, this screen. Yep. And now the commentator, you and the commentators, do you have, sometimes have to just react to that, or does he tell you ahead of time, hey, I'm going to be switching to this? Um, it's a healthy dose of both. Okay. Right? So the commentators, you know, uh, Greg will sit here this weekend, and he'll have, on the small monitor, he'll have the output feed right there in front of him. Mm -hmm. um, looks exactly like that. This uh, screen, when it's up, will have all 12 cameras plus the next camera shot to come up and the current camera shot. So okay. this is reflective of what Got that it. is. Right? Yep. Okay. So this is identical to what our producer sees in his remote <clears throat> studio. Mm -hmm. And all of these are resources for both the, or both the commentator here and the commentator at home. He's got monitors of his own that do exactly the same thing. The production feed, as if he's sitting there watching the race in real time, like you would be you know, in a professional production studio, or with all of the camera angles, if he happens to see something trackside. Um, you know, Greg Mint also have a, a track radio, so he's listening to the corner net in one ear. He's listening to and talking to the remote commentators, you know, in the rest of his headset, while occasionally getting bits of information from myself or from our producer remotely that all tie in to how the commentators understand the race as it's happening. Yeah. It's a lot of information. Why well, I, I do not, I mean, I would <laughs> absolutely fail at that. Like, when someone's talking to me, there is no way yeah. I can have two conversations going. <laughs> Everything goes blank, and I hear nothing. Sure. No. Uh, so that's that's impressive that he's not just listening, but he's also communicating outwardly. It's, I have nothing but the highest praise for Greg and, and Brian Belansky, Lefty McLeod, uh, Brian Donati. I think all four of them have been part of the commentary team at one point or another this season, and they all have that same incredible skill to tune the right things in or out at the right time. That's amazing. Right? And, you know, it's I, seeing it in real time and being a part of it in real time um, and then going back and looking at the finished product is, is kind of fun sometimes, right? Because you never hear the back and forth between myself, the producer, with our commentators. Um, you never hear, you know, what's going on on the corner net. It's all just provided there for information for the commentators to take in. And then the the, the end product is just a race. Yeah. Like watching a race on TV. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know how all the communication went. I didn't even know that there was somebody remotely. But then when you think about it, like, even if you're sitting here, I mean, these are big monitors, right? Yeah. You're watching the monitors, right? You, 
there's only so much you can see on the front, front straight here. Yep. You've got to pay attention to this. And if you've got this set up at home, you can do the same thing. The only thing that I would think of is like the delay. Um, I've yeah. noticed sometimes that I'll see uh, like I'm at the track. I see a wreck or something. And then it takes a couple seconds for them to, oh, gosh, yeah. something happened. Is that That's pretty normal? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. Some of it is definitely, there's probably about a second and a half from uh, when something happens on track to when our producer actually gets it in the software because okay. all the cameras are wireless, right? Yeah. We're not here, we're not out here running cable on right, Wednesday yeah. or Thursday or anything. So that's part of it. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Um, there's a little extra delay from the producer out to uh, our monitors here. That's actually pretty minimal. Um, the other issue is when you are physically at the track, you've got so much more happening around you, right? Brian Belansky at home this weekend is going to have the monitors. He's going to have the producer and myself um, in his ear. And those that's all of the context he has, right, for the whole weekend. At the track, you've got all of that. You've got the trackside network. You've got what's, whatever's happening out in front of you here. You've got all the noise of race cars. Um, you've got the starter right here who might be displaying some flag that might be relevant or might not be relevant. So one of the things I think I've learned as we've gotten more in-depth with video production over the last couple of years, when a commentator is ignoring something that's happening on your screen, you're like, I can't believe they're ignoring this. Why are they talking about what's happening on screen? Talk to what you see. It's not just because what's happening on screen isn't interesting. There is just so much more that's happening in person, no matter how much you try and lock yourself into that, mm -hmm. there is always something else that you need to be considering if you're telling the entire story. And particularly in our case, we're the only ones here, right? There are two people at the track that can assist in providing that context beyond the 12 cameras and the onboards and whatever else we've got. So it's very easy to get looking out the window, looking into the pit lane, you know, who's coming in or out uh, in endurance racing in particular, and we're talking about strategy, calling these pit stops in real time gets pretty important. Seeing the flagger is pretty important. Um, so it's not just a, a video delay. Sometimes it is, hey, there's other things to worry about, other things to see, and eventually we'll get back to the screen in rotation. Um, which is maybe where having somebody remotely is actually very good because they are locked in yeah. right on the production screen because that's yeah. all they've got. So Now, in, in that situation with Brian being remote, mm -hmm. he'll, he'll be speaking over the loudspeakers and on YouTube just as if he was here. Yep. Right? That's, it's always uh, fun to get people's reactions when they come in and see the production studio here. Um, a lot of times somebody will come in and ask for Brian or ask for Greg, depending on who's yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the answer is, well, he's, he's not here this weekend. And they said, well, I heard him on the PA yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, no, we're doing it remote. And that's been one of the, the challenges of what we do at Drivers Eye Live is to make it sound and feel like we're doing it all, right? We're doing a TV broadcast or a live stream broadcast. We're doing PA um, coverage and announcements. Like, we're all here at the track. Um, 
you know, we're coordinating with race control, who might be two doors down. I mean, there are all kinds of things that happen in a race weekend. I mean, IndyCar was just here, right, last weekend. Yep. They have their own PA announcers who are separate from the TV announcers. The production is done in a truck that's remote, and there's all kinds of coordination happening there. We're a small team doing it all mostly not in person, and we have to make it sound like everything is happening like everybody's here, yeah. sitting next to each other. Um, and it's been a challenge, technically speaking. It's not easy, but we've we've put it together now where it's all, uh, nobody really knows the difference, you know? Is, is, is there a bunch of custom software and hardware, or is it you've managed, you said mostly retail type stuff that you have uh, integrated together? Yeah, so from a cost perspective, initially it had to be. Yeah. Right? We built this from the ground up. It wasn't my full-time job. There was no loan or investment or anything that was going <clears throat> into doing this. It was just, okay, well, we covered one race by radio only for a few years. We've got to go find a new race to do, and almost certainly that's going to require some video. So we went out and we picked up four old cell phones that we used for cameras. Four became eight, eight became 12. Right? And along the way, everything that we've picked up is... It may not be consumer grade, but it's available to anybody to you know go out and purchase. Where I think we differentiate ourselves is the ability to pull that all together in a way that works for amateur racing and to work hard enough to make it look like a race, mm -hmm. right? To look like any other race you might be able to see on TV or on the internet. Um, the one exception to that is our timing uh, graphics, which started years ago as a Python script that one of our guys just wrote to pull in race hero data uh, and output a CSV file that our production software pulled in and spat out very janky graphics. And over the last 10 years, single-handedly, he has put together a, a custom graphics package that is fully hands-off. Right? So we start it in the morning and it'll advance through every session throughout the day. It'll count down the laps remaining, the time remaining. It'll scroll through classes for multi-class races. Mm. It'll scroll 15 or 20 names at a time. Car information, intervals. And then on the back end, it's providing us all of the relevant information that we would need, particularly for our endurance racing coverage. So, like I said, we do this on kind of a skeleton crew. We've automated the idea of having a spotter. Right, somebody there to look at timing, somebody there to follow gaps that are closing or expanding, tracking pit strategies. We've managed to automate all that. So it's timing data in, the software every 10 seconds or so takes all that and processes, okay, this car is catching this car. And when it gets within three seconds or 10 seconds or whatever we set it to, it'll spit out a notification that says, hey, watch this battle. Mm. Or, hey, this car has been doing 20 laps on a tank of fuel, they're due in within five laps. Keep an eye on it because they're about to pit. If the car doesn't come across the start-finish line because it's stranded out somewhere on track, if it is expected and never crosses the line, it sends us a notification that says, hey, this car's missing out on track somewhere. Right? So that is the one element of this that can't be, can't be duplicated. Right? I don't know. I'm sure there's software out there somewhere. We could go buy three or four different pieces of software and put it all together and try and make it look like we want it to look, mm -hmm. but we've done that ourselves. And um, that's where this has really been a labor of love over the last couple of years. 
and I think makes us unique within amateur motorsports coverage. Um, and that's not to say that it can't be done other ways. Um, you know, I, I'm Greg works with Washington DC region to put together live streaming for the Mars series. Um, actually, the, the whole Mars series, it goes all over the East Coast. Brian Belinsky works in Cal Club, right? Good looking streams um, that are entirely done on, uh, on consumer products. Um, this is just our way of doing things a little bit differently and using our collective talents as a team, as Drivers I Live LLC, to follow racing and produce racing the way we would want to watch it ourselves. So the, the, how do people get to the website, Drivers? So there, we do have a website, it's driverseye.live, and I'm, uh, <laughs> it's not the most updated website in the world. So I did not do this full time up until this year, uh -huh. right? This started, Years ago, as a fun side project, and I would sink all kinds of free time into it because yeah, it was fun to see how far we could take it and how uh -huh. much racing we could cover. Uh, I was actually an air traffic controller up until about six months ago. Yeah, so wow. that was my full-time gig, and when push came to shove at the end of last year and we got offered the ability to come do the Hoosier Super Tour in 23, I had to make a decision, either commit to this thing that you know we had all built together yeah. or stick with that career. Um, and so I just sort of ran out of time as I was winding that career down, but building this up to be full time and the website went by the wayside, but all of our coverage is archived in our partner series, YouTube channels. So if you want to watch Hoosier Super Tour races from events gone by, um, you go to the SCCA official YouTube page, World Racing League powered by Haggerty, just type in World Racing League, all of the events dating back to the end of 2020. I think are on their page um, and it's fun to go back sometimes too and watch you know just how far we've come since those days. Yeah. Little incremental gains all the time um, building up to you know what we have now. So right now it's it's with the SCCA the Super Hoosier the Hoosier Super Tour. Yep. Um, expecting any expansions soon or or oh. extensions or anything like that? Expecting is an interesting word. I, <laughs> I am hopeful. hopeful. I, I think there are some avenues that we're interested in, in doing more of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the really great things about the SCCA, yes, we're working with a national touring series or a national touring platform, let's say, that allows racers from anywhere in the country to come out and, and pick one of these races, whether it's in their region or their division or not, mm -hmm. right, to come out um, and, and to participate. Um, but it's also opened the door for us to do some more regional racing inside the SCCA. And I'm hopeful that as we get through the end of this year into the beginning of next year, that we'll have some regions that'll come on board and um, maybe have us produce a majors event or uh, you know maybe their biggest regional event of the year or something like that. Um, this is now a, a platform that's available individually throughout the, to individual regions throughout the SCCA. Um, we are, as a company or as a group of individuals, all endurance racing fans at heart. Yeah. This is where this all started. So that is, I don't think that's going anywhere. World Racing League has been, I mean, they've been fantastic partners. They've allowed us over the last three years to build this into something that I think is pretty special for endurance, uh, for amateur racing in this country. Um, the next step, maybe historic racing. I think there's uh, some historic series out there that put on pretty special events that would look great on our cameras. Um, 
and the idea of riding on board with some of the you know the the prototypes in the 70s or the GTP cars in the 80s uh, or even the the prototypes I grew up watching being able to uh, to ride on board with those cars um, would be pretty special so I'd like to go do that my my real passion I would love to do some international endurance racing and that might not be with video yeah but uh, maybe some English language coverage of, of foreign races there's okay. a, uh, a very cool it's a 10 hour uh, thousand kilometer race around a Lithuanian highway interchange and that sounds like just the most nut why would anybody watch that it is bonkers it is so much fun to watch <laughs> but it's only in Lithuanian so like yeah, there's maybe a pathway there for us moving forward to to be able to bring some of those classic races that uh, people don't talk about or don't get to watch um, to, you know, a, a passionate audience, an endurance racing or an amateur racing audience. So we'll see what the next year or so holds, but I'm excited. When you were covering races prior to video, what was that like? What, what did, I mean, yeah, but what did you do so and how did you, what, what was it that you were compiling? So my first year of doing coverage, I did it solo. I did 19 out of the 25 hours of Thunder Hill on my own. And one of the comments that was made during the live stream was something to the effect of, oh, goody, spreadsheet racing. And that's kind of what it was where all we really had to go with was data, right? I was sat in the first floor of the uh, media building at Thunder Hill. And it's just in front of one big window that covered maybe 50 yards of track at start finish and then turn three out in the distance, if you're familiar with Thunder Hill. And it's, it's not hard to follow the race, but it's hard to do it with any sort of context. Mm. Because all you're seeing <clears throat> is cars coming across start finish, pit strategies, and trying to extrapolate that out over the next two hours, four hours, eight hours, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you lose, okay, this car disappeared for an hour. Where did it go and what happened, right? It's back, what did they fix? What was the problem, right? Was there an incident? Did they break a gearbox? You know, did they puncture a radiator? You lose all that detail. But it turns out that that's all pretty important to actually covering an endurance race. So without video, we were still able to, over the years, add those pieces back in, right? My solo effort for two years became a three-person team, became a five-person team, and we scaled all the way up to eight before we finished up uh, what we were doing out at the 25-hour. And all that information is still, still provides content, for lack of a better word. Yeah. yeah you're talking for, for 24, 25 hours at a time. But there is actually a lot to talk about. Um, and eventually, like even at Thunderhill, you move up to the third floor, you do have a pretty decent panoramic view of most of the track that allowed us to again, at least provide that context for what was happening and what we were marginally able to show from one static webcam, right? Did you, you know, these are endurance races, they're very long, mm -hmm. uh, one driver at a time, but they have team drivers, so someone's maybe resting or just not out there. You were always in the booth, right? Or was there people roaming around talking to the drivers who had just got done with the stint and they're gonna get ready for another yeah, one? Yeah, it was a bit of both. Uh, the coldest years, I mean, the 25 hours in December, which miserable time to be in Northern California. Yeah. So during the coldest years, we were mostly just up in the booth and we would invite people to come up and, and, and interview if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, in later years, we, we use Skype and our cell phones. And one of us 
in rotation would go down into the paddock and either report on our own or um, you know maybe do a couple of interviews um, you know now that I think about it even in the years prior to that we were recording them and then uploading the files to our server and playing them on tape delay right like as part of the production yeah so we found really creative ways to try and add in those elements to a professional broadcast with all of the technical bells and whistles to add that back into what we were at the time capable of. Um, and honestly, we haven't really strayed too terribly far from some of that. It's just having the on-site resources to do that regularly, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's tough when you've only got one person on site. They're just the compromises you have to make when you're covering racing on a budget, but it is still important. Like it's an important aspect, particularly of the endurance races here. No, maybe not so much, but yeah. the endurance races in particular, those uh, those little tidbits of information you get from the paddock matter. Yeah. Um, so, how are how are Greg and and Brian, for example, associated with Driver's Eye? So, they were brought on board by the club to handle commentary. Got it. Uh, independently. Oh, okay. Right? So okay. we. We were brought on to handle the video production and the trackside streaming mm -hmm. uh, and the distribution, ultimately. Um, but one of the, I think, really important aspects of the club is just how intimately familiar so many people are with it. And if you're going to promote what the club is doing, you want people to sound educated mm -hmm. and like they know, you know, all the little details, they know the history of certain cars, of certain drivers, of certain regions, of events like the June Sprints. I think this is year 68 in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, those pieces of information matter to a lot of people. And Brian and Greg, and honestly, Larry and, and Brian Donati um, have just been so knowledgeable and professional. This has really just been the, the ultimate setup for how I think I would want to follow SCCA club racing. Um, it sounds great. It allows us to focus on the video without having to worry too much about how we're contributing to the commentary itself and leave that to the pros. Awesome. Yeah, that's 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 cool. Because huh. I know Brian works at, at a TV or radio studio or something like that. So um... yeah, it's I. Endurance amateur racing in general is a challenge to. Um, do as anything more than a hobby. Very, very few people ever have that opportunity. Um, but up until this year, it wasn't that for me either, right? Um, you know, I had I had my past career that was, I mean, the schedule was a nightmare. You know, I didn't have weekends off, but most of my paid time off went into being able to come do this yeah. as, a, as a passion project. And, um, you know, Greg, Greg Ginsburg, Brian Blansky in particular, they're where I was a couple years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're using their time off to come, yes, be a part of what the club has to offer, but to make what the club offers better. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think this can't be matched. Yep, you can go out and hire professional commentators that do this for a living, but your rates go way up. Yeah. And instead, what we're doing here is bringing the best of what the club has to offer, the best people that the club has to offer, into a little project that we can show the club and whatever interested eyes might be out there beyond the SCCA's membership, 
um, just how special the club is and how good the on-track racing actually is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me add, have you, have you done racing? Have you raced before? No. No. So I, uh, I actually got into racing just on my own. I didn't grow up in a racing family or anything like that. Um, I just found it on TV, watching it on my own, got really, really super into it. Um, and did a bunch of sim racing as a kid. And honestly, like most of the people that started Drivers Eye Live with me were old sim racing teammates of mine, right? So we grew up racing as teenagers together um, in even the predecessors to iRacing. And uh, so it's funny, I, I've never really had any desire to get behind the wheel. I mean, I think it'd be fun, um, but I think I'm happy just doing this. Yeah, things. that's cool. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, and it's been really interesting to learn about all the stuff you yeah. guys do and everything, and how it all comes together. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, happy to talk to you. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like, but I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag. Thank you.